Well, today we're going to be considering the incarnation. This is what this is the, kind of the technical term that describes God's entrance into his own world, where the creator become creature. It's the word become flesh and dwelt among us. God became man. Incarnation is wrapped up in the, the, the heavenly promise we find in the Christmas story in which the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, said Emmanuel has come. Peace on earth. The angel speaks to Mary. You should call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel literally means God with us. But God with us really is the picture of what grace is. I always say that grace is defined by one word, Emmanuel. God's manifest presence in our broken world, in our broken lives. His absolute love for us that God in his sovereign freedom has chosen to move into our dilemma our sin and make it his own not because he needs us but because he is not content to exist without us and that is a powerful picture but it's something that we struggle with and I think of the word home when I think of Christmas and when I connect Christmas to what it's actually about, which is the incarnation, God became man, God with us, Emmanuel, God making his home amongst us so that we can have our home in him and with him and him in us. I want to begin with a quote from one of my favorite um, books I've read in the last few years. Uh, I read um, in book club, we read through... Um, Marilyn Robinson's uh, series of books. I still have the very last one to read, Jack, but um, Gilead, um, Home, and Lila, and then Jack. But they all take place in this fictional town in the Midwest called Gilead. The first one, Gilead, it's about a pastor who's dying of cancer, and the whole book is a letter that he's writing to his son as he's dying because he has a child very late in life, and his boy is just a little boy, and he knows he's not going to be there for him when he grows up, and it's, it's a beautiful picture and exploration of grace. But the second book is about that pastor's best friend, who is another minister in town, and he names his his son after the, the main narrator in the first book, but this son is a prodigal son. And he struggles, and he continually struggles. And there's this powerful conversation in home in which the father speaks to Jack. And Jack has been gone for so long, um, and, and he, he, he can't seem to forgive himself, and he can't seem to find his place in the world. And the father, this retired minister, says this to him. I promised myself a thousand times if you came home, you would never hear a word of rebuke from me no matter what. The father had lost his patience and, and had lashed out at his son. And now he's apologizing. He says, and Jack says, I don't mind. I deserve rebuke. The old man said, you ought to let the Lord decide what you deserve. You think about that too much, what you deserve. I believe that is part of the problem. Jack smiled. I believe you may have a point. Nobody deserves anything good or bad. It's all grace. If you accepted that, you might be able to relax a little. There's such a poignant 
conversation because Jack is this perpetually restless young man who has no place. In fact, his sister is conversing with him in another, in another part of the book in which she's saying to him, like, Jack, you always were aloof. You always, you always would go missing. And he actually makes this interesting statement. He goes, I was never actually far from home. I would just hide on the perimeters where I could see home, but I never actually felt like I was a part of it. And I think that this speaks to the universal longing of the human heart, is that we want desperately to belong. We want to know that we are loved. And, and, and when we think of what the word home means, that, that's a complicated word. For many of us, uh, if you're like me, I've moved every single year, every single year of my life um, through the first 11 years. Went to a different elementary school every year. Uh, I went through, I, I, I had two different stepdads by the time I was in sixth grade. Um, you know, not, and, and my biological father. I mean, just a lot of transition. But the thing that made home home was the, the, the continual presence of my mother. That sense of home for me is that sense of being loved, being protected, being cared for, being someone that's concerned about you, your well-being. Home is, is not so much just the building in which we sleep at night, but it's, it's the place in which family exists. It's what G.K. Chesterton said, that the house is the only place we actually have the ability to truly be anarchists. For it's the place that we can walk around in our underwear without shame. That was, that was Chesterton's definition of home. It's a place where I can just be myself. I can actually let down my guard. But some of us have a lot of baggage with the concept of home. Maybe home was a place of fear. Maybe home was a, a place of, of heartbreak. Maybe you were a, you're an adult now, but you remember your parents getting divorced in, in, in a crucial time in your life and home all of a sudden becomes complicated. And I think Jack's problem, his inability to understand that home is essentially about grace. It's a place where you shouldn't feel judged, but you should feel safe enough to be yourself. But Jack couldn't see that. And I love how his father is trying to help him understand, listen, God loves you. Jack, it's not about what you do or don't do. It's about grace. And if you actually accepted that, you might actually have some peace. And I want us to think about home in the context of Christ. Because one of the central themes of the incarnation is this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's literally, the, the, the Greek word means tabernacled. In other words, God made his home permanent home in the human experience. He became man, says the Nicene Creed, for us. God became human for us. I've been getting a lot of questions from people that are new to the faith or haven't come to the faith about the significance of Jesus. Jesus is the final word of God. We want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. And Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. As, as Christians, we are, we are Trinitarian in our vision of God. God 
has revealed himself to be one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those three persons cannot be confused with one another, and yet they cannot be separated from one another either. They, the communion of love, Chesterton refers to it as God is a home within himself. He is a complete family, if you will. And then the love of father and son, there have been some theologians that say is the, the, the perfect love between father and son that creates the oneness of God. There's all sorts of ideas. It's a mystery. But what we do believe is that God, because he is a community within himself, has created you and I with the longing to be in relationship with others. We want a sense of home. We want family. We want to belong. I want to share with you um, a really powerful passage. We're going to just be looking at Galatians chapter 4, just a few verses today that really speak to the incarnation and what it is that we celebrate on Christmas and how this brings us home. Because the human heart is always prodigal. And honestly, the Christian life is a continual return to the heart of the Father. The first thing I want us to see is the house of love, which is one of my favorite shoegaze dream pop bands, but I just wanted to throw that out there in case you want to look them up later because they're really quite lovely um, <laughs> and not Christians. Uh, maybe now. Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. I love this picture of the fullness of time uh, because Jesus's entrance into this world, the birth of Jesus came at the peak or the pinnacle of, of human achievement. Now we may not think of that, but the fact is, is that everything we know in Western society uh, has been built upon foundations that were fully in place when Jesus came on the scene. All philosophy <laughs> is basically built upon, Western philosophy is built upon the pillars that were already in play in, Greek, in the Greek philosophers by the time Jesus came on. The greatest empire that has ever been on the planet, the Roman Empire, was fully in swing. The greatest religion, moralistic religion that is the foundation for Western civilization Judaism was on the scene, and yet humanity was in darkness. And I believe that it is in the fullness of time that the picture here is that God came exactly when he needed to come, and that is that he allowed, it says, therefore, the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and women who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and he defines wrath not as God shooting lightning bolts out of the heavens and killing people dead. No, the wrath of God, it says, is God gave people over to do the things that they wanted to do. Gave them over to a debased mind. The essence of wrath in Romans 1 is a, is a releasing, a giving over. What we don't often notice is that God's wrath, even that giving over, is a restorative. I'll give you over to, you want to do your own thing? Fine, go do your own thing and discover the emptiness of it. Discover the vanity of it. Because as we were sharing, as I was sharing about Lawrence and the guys from the Union Gospel Mission, they are perfect 
illustrations and each one of them would tell you the story of what it's like to take life into your own hand and to make a mess of your life to only to discover you come to an end of yourself and you're like, I need something bigger than myself because I have made a pretty terrible master. God gave them over. But it is in the fullness of time when humanity had been fully given over to the best that it could achieve and yet it was completely lost. God enters in to this story. The house of love is this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The full identification of God with humanity is more than just he gets us which is a new ad campaign that I keep getting bombarded with um, on, online. Yes, he gets us, but it's more than that. He gets us because he entered into our sin. See, God is the house of love because he, in his sovereign freedom, chose to identify himself not with our humanity simply, but with our brokenness. He meets us in our lowest point. This is why the cross is so scandalous because Jesus literally was put to death in the most humiliating public manner that was usually reserved for the lowest of the human population at the time. It was the, he was treated like a common thief. He was hung upon a cross and humiliated. He became a curse, we are told that we might no longer be cursed by our own stupidity and our own desire to be our own gods because humanity has proven that it is not capable of actually accomplishing the very thing that it has been gifted by God, which is to subdue the earth. All we do is simply ruin it. It's like everything we touch no matter what good it brings, it ultimately seems to have some underbelly of bad that we could not have ever seen. This is the beauty of the gospel, is that the creator has not been willing to release his creation even though that creation turned upon him. And in love, he enters in. This is why grace is such an important part of Door of Hope because grace reminds us again and again just like a good father, that it doesn't matter how bad you are, kiddo, you're still my kid. I still love you. Doesn't mean I'm not heartbroken by the things you do. It doesn't mean that I don't even get angry, but I'm angry at the things that you do that hurt you because I love you. That's the heart of a good father. Someone asked me that about, is there anything that, you, that would cause you to turn your back on your son? And I'm like, no. They're like, what if he was a heroin addict? I'm like, well, I probably wouldn't leave him alone in the house because he'd probably steal things, but he's still my boy. What if he chose, you know, some sort of lifestyle that's completely opposed to Christianity? He is my boy. I love him. And I think that it is a, a, a picture, if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. God is a God of love. I have said before, it may be possible to die unsaved, but it is not possible to die unloved. God loves you. And he is a father that is forever wooing his children back to him. But he doesn't just call us back to himself. He says, actually, 
the gospel tells us something powerful, that, that God has gone into the foreign land, like the prodigal son, to actually bring back prodigal kids with him to the heart of the Father. That Jesus is one who has pursued us. The house of love is this, is that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Notice how big that phrase is. That the world might be saved through him. I think that this reminder is that God is a God who is not content to exist without you. And I consistently push on this theme of the purpose of salvation is not you arriving, but it's about you knowing. Home is a place where you know and are known. That's what it should be. And I recognize all kinds of people, like myself, grow up in broken homes. And you can grow up in your home feeling like a stranger, not known, not cared for. Those things happen. But in a home where parents actually pour into their kids, love on their kids, provide the best that they can for their kids. And I'm not talking about wealth. I'm just talking about I am here to protect these people because they're my people. I love them. This is the picture of home that we should think of when we think of God's love for us. He wants us to make our home with him. His house is a house of love. His grace is this. He has entered into our sin because he knows that we are not capable of finding him without him first finding us. That he is not loving you because of how lovable you are or how bad you are. He loves you because it's his nature to do so. It's actually not dependent upon who you are at all. It's dependent upon what he has chosen in his sovereignty to do, which is to move into broken humanity and to make your sin his problem. I think the question is, is, Will we say yes to his yes? Or will we say no to his yes? The house of love is a picture that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. I think of this picture, the ultimate picture of the house of love that came in the ministry of Jesus was the night of his betrayal. He speaks to his disciples and he said, hey, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times, but let not your heart be troubled is immediately the verse that follows. You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. Where is he going to prepare the place for them? We may think forward to, to this is, this is the, the new heavens, the new earth, the preparation of a new home, but no, the first place, the first stop is actually the door of hope, and it's the cross. That is the place where he prepared a home for us. That is the place where the Father's heart is revealed because the first thing that, that Jesus utters from his lips when nailed to the cross, which is the ultimate picture of what Christmas is about, which is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That God's heart is to forgive a rebellious humanity. What a beautiful picture. And I think that this is something that we need to understand is that the house of love, which is God himself, through Jesus is the recreation of old creation. 
In Genesis 1, 2, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And, and I think that that is such a powerful picture. It's like there was chaos over the earth, and, it, and humanity had created that chaos again. And yet God makes himself a man without ceasing to be God. God became man in the midst of the old the new humanity begins. It is recreation. True God and true man. Through the birth of Jesus Christ, God and man become one. This is why when the angel speaks to Mary, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The idea of the virgin birth, this isn't just some superstitious myth. This is the picture that this birth was unique. This this presence upon the earth 2,000 years ago is anchored in history. Jesus Christ is both God and man. And this is that we might find our home, our belonging in Him who is love. He loves us. He loves us. Secondly, we see the house of bondage because... In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. God so loved the world that He gave. He sent. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here, we see born of a woman. That the Word became flesh. Flesh always speaks to a, a negative spiritual reality. It's not just flesh and blood, but flesh speaks to that broken reality in our lives. That the flesh speaks of that which actually is always in conflict with the spirit. It's not that the material world is bad and the spirit world is good. It's that, it's that our personhoods are, are conflicted by this problem that is everybody's problem. Sin isn't something I do. Sin is something that I am. And the thing that makes me a saint is that I am a sinner who has been forgiven. And the victorious life that I desire to live is found as I yield to that reality so that the Spirit has control in and through my life so that Jesus becomes manifested in spite of that brokenness. But the reason I can count on that is because God Himself entered into the house of bondage. You and I are bound as human beings in a fallen world, in fallen bodies. And, and we can use examples of this. I mean, I think of a, a, a picture that my, my mom is, uh, has been struggling with, uh, with horribly, horrible arthritis since she was like 35. And, and she told me before, it's like my, my body just feels sometimes like, a, like I'm a prisoner in my own body. Uh, when you have no control over the crippling of your, your hands or the loss of the loss of movement, or just as you, I'm finding that my, my body is, you know, they say your body is the temple of God, and I'm like, man, he must, he, I'm like a trailer. Uh, I've, you know, I once felt like a, like a, you know, maybe not a mansion, but, you know, I was no Brad Pitt, but what's happening? The, this, I'm like, a, I'm like, I'm like the, some of the RVs you see in town right now. I'm like, I'm that like, it's a house of bondage. It's not getting better. I, like, I helped, I helped my drywaller, like, carry drywall in last week. And I'm like, I, and he's much older than me. And I threw my back out in, like, like, three minutes. And I'm like, house of bondage. 
<laughs> this is the reality is that God's entrance into our brokenness, it actually covers every, every arena of existence, our physical reality, our spiritual, our emotional reality, because I can feel that house of bondage. I often feel like my brain is more like a prison than a temple. <laughs> I, the distractions, the, the glitches, things that, you know, I'm like, man, why, like, I, I feel like there's like this untapped potential that's always there. You can all, we all feel it. We all feel like we were meant for something more. You're like, I mean, do you ever say this? You're like, I'm better than this. What is wrong with me? And, and I'm, it's like, why do I continue to return to these same things? Why do I continue to have these same problems? Why, do I, why, am I, why am I so cyclical in the way that I act? I'm like, I'm disciplined man for, you know, January, at least for the first three weeks. This is why we have New Year resolutions. And this is why gyms make so much money. All of you have mental houses of bondage. We all do. Physical house of bondage familial house of bondage. We can't escape our families. We can't escape our situation. We can't escape the craziness of our world right now. But the good news is that God entered into that house of bondage fully. Here, the Apostle Paul, I think it's interesting in verse in verse 4, he does not speak of the virgin birth because he does not want to emphasize what, what distinguishes Jesus from us, but to show what makes him like us. That he was born just like you and I was born and that he was under law. And law is bondage because we never can keep the law. We're by nature law breakers. That's why I always, <laughs> Hattie asked if she could have some friends over to the house and she got super stressed out because Darcy and I fell asleep and two more friends than what we said could, came over. And she was like, I was so stressed out the whole time. I thought if mom or dad comes upstairs and sees that there's two more people in the house, that I would get in trouble. I'm like, why would you get in trouble? Like, we never said that. That had ever been our pattern. She's like, well, you said two, and I had four. And I'm like, honey, I'm about the spirit of the law, <laughs> not the letter of the law. When it says 25 miles an hour, eh, it could be 10, it could be 45, could be 50, depending on if I'm late for church like I was today. Um, you know, things happen. The spirit of the law, spirit of the law is my, my, we can't keep the law. He was born into the frailty. When it says that God became human flesh, he wasn't like Superman. He actually took upon himself the frailty of the human experience. I believe personally, and theologians argue about this, that Jesus actually entered into sinful flesh without sinning. What I mean by that is that he did not get like a, like a get out of jail card free. Like he wasn't kind of human, he was human. He was hungry. He experienced the difficulties. He, was, he experienced the poverty. He said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He experienced physical death. That all tells me that he entered into what we would call fallen human flesh. But unlike us, he actually was able to maintain perfect obedience to the Father. And he gives us a picture of what the Spirit-filled man looks like. He doesn't, the Spirit-filled human being does not 
does not uh, go without suffering, for he was the son of sorrows. In fact, his moral perfection actually probably created more emotional anguish for him than we can even begin to imagine. Because he took the sin into himself without collapsing under its weight. He actually was able to take it all the way. The house of bondage was the very thing that Jesus entered into. Look what it says in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in whom every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. There it is. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It's grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. This is the beautiful experience. Jesus doesn't just have empathy. I feel with you. He has sympathy. I understand you. I have experienced it. I get it. I have always said I could never put my faith in a God that does not understand the bondage that I find myself in mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I can't worship a God that doesn't understand my sin. Because if sin is a huge part of what my experience is, then God better be able to understand it. I don't need him to just forgive it. I need him to understand it. Because how can I be understood? If God is light and in him is no darkness at all, the idea is, no, God can't be in the presence of sin. Well, that's nonsense. Jesus is the perfect picture of not only God's willingness to get in front of it, but to actually take it into himself. The house of bondage is our experience. Isn't it wonderful to know that Christianity proclaims not a God who is immune to our brokenness, but a God who is moved by it, who actually endured it, suffered under it, and conquered it. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is why Jesus is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And this is why we, we say that there is no other name under heaven by which one can be saved. Because God is Jesus. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He says, I have completed my mission. I am ready to have my glory restored to me. In other words, he left that place of glory and entered into the house of bondage. And yet, it was by entering into our bondage that he is able to set the captives free. And this is where we move into the most beautiful part of what we celebrate at Christmas. This is why the incarnation is so good. Because if we have the house of love, God's gracious movement toward us, and the house of bondage, God's entrance into our brokenness, it leaves us with what we become when we place our faith in Him, which is the very house of God Himself. Galatians 4, verses 5-7, through seven, to redeem those who are under the law, under that bondage, so that we might receive adoption as sons. By the way, the reason that the language of sons is used rather than daughters or sons and daughters is because every man and woman that places their faith in Jesus, the eternal son, is treated with the royalty of that position. The sonship of Christ is our position in God we find ourselves in Christ and God treats us as he treats his 
son. It's a beautiful picture. That we might receive adoptions, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. Jesus says, whoever the Son of Man says free shall be free indeed. But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You know, I've been talking a lot over the months about the forgiveness of God and the reality of our continued brokenness, that God saved us from sin, but why do we keep sinning? And I came across um, a, a... a thought by um, Carl Barth this week that was so helpful because here is the picture of what I've been trying to get at because I don't want you to walk away feeling like you can't do anything. Everything's mixture, which means you can do nothing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's an understanding that light shines in and reveals what we are apart from Christ, which should cause us to cast ourselves in dependence upon the one who is victorious. But I love what Barth says. What it really means is he says, Forgiven sin can still make an absolute, can wreak havoc on our lives, essentially. Forgiven sin can wreak havoc on our lives. But then he goes on to say, but it can never again be unforgiven, nor can it ever be triumphant. Forgiven sin can wreak havoc, but it can never be unforgiven, nor can it ever again be triumphant, ultimately. And that is a powerful picture of the gospel. This is the victory. We have been given the Spirit of God. We are treated as children. And yes, we can be rebellious kids, and yes, we can, we can be prodigal kids, and we can walk away. But listen, if you have truly put your trust in Jesus, you are forgiven I believe Jesus worked out forgiveness for all people, but not all people will receive that forgiveness. I don't believe he just made it possible. I actually think that he took the sin of the world into himself. But to reject what he did leaves us in a place where there's not, he says, there is no other sacrifice other than the, other than the cross. If you, don't, if you don't accept the blood of Christ, there's nowhere to go. This is what Peter said, Lord, where shall we go? You alone hold the words of life. Because God wants to come into our very lives and make his home within us. This is what Lawrence was talking about, that what he experienced at Alpha was the very presence of the Holy Spirit. The very spirit of Christ comes to dwell within us. He makes his home within us. Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But when we are born again, God actually enters into our house of bondage and he sets us free. And the freedom is that reality that we are now known and can know. The goal of the Christian life is to know that God is with us, for us, and will never leave us nor forsake us. And there is no message that the world needs more right now because it is the only message that actually brings peace on earth. It's not peace like we think of peace because the best is yet to come and there is a day when the new heavens and new earth will be brought forth. But in this day of suffering and sorrow, it's still the age of grace and we are to bring the message of the forgiveness of sins that has been fully accomplished in Jesus because those who say yes to his yes discover that though our sins may still make wreak havoc in our lives, it can never again be unforgiven or be triumphant. 
because we have become the very house of God. Because God has come to make his home within us. And instead of grieving the Spirit, why don't we invite him to have full control? It says be Spirit-filled in Scripture. And to be Spirit-filled is really to give Jesus control of every room in the house of your soul. And what I find is, you guys ever read that, um, that little book? It's like, um, uh, my heart, the, my, yeah, what is it? My heart, Christ's home. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful little, like, kind of allegory uh, that speaks of, of the human heart as, as, as a house. And what's that passage of Revelation? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens, I will come in and dine with him and her and they with me. And I think that this is, a, a, Jesus is not, force himself relationship real relationship cannot be forced there must be a mutual surrender if you will God surrendered on his side he surrendered himself for you will you surrender yourself to him he asks will you let me in and what we do is we let him into certain areas of our lives you can come into this room but you can't come into this room you can you can have this part of me but not this part of me and God's saying, no, no, I, I, I want, I promise you, my heart is to, is to create something beautiful, something new. If anyone be in Christ, all things are new. But Jesus is Lord. And there's no getting around that. And that's why repentance is a beautiful word, because repentance is, is kind of admitting that we've had the door closed. <laughs> that we've been trying to live on our own by ourselves, and we're kind of lonely and repentance is changing mind. I'm, I'm not going to, it's lonely being God, and I'm a horrible God. So why don't I just admit that I'm not God, surrender to the one who actually comes to bring friendship, intimacy, the house of love, which we find in Jesus, actually becomes our house, because he says, if anyone loves me and keeps my commandments, and this is his commandment, that we love one another. And this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And he says, I will make my home within him. I will make my home within him. Christmas is about finding belonging because Jesus has entered into the loneliness of the human experience. He understands, he cares, he loves you. And on your worst day, He's crazy about you. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens, I will come in and dine with him, with her, and she and he with me. This is, the, this is what it means when we talk about Jesus, is that God is a God who is not content to exist without you. He loves you. So come home to him. Stop being prodigal. Stop running from him. Open the door of, of your heart and say, Lord, come in. I am yours. You are mine. The fullness of the Spirit is not getting more of the Spirit. It's the Spirit having more control of you. And if you've never actually took that step from death into life, it's just simply recognizing that God has entered into the human dilemma and that he, through Jesus, took sin and death and the dominions of darkness to the cross and he conquered them all there. And that on the third day, he rose from the dead, revealing himself to his followers before ascending to the right hand of the Father and now continues to send his spirit to those who put their trust in him 
This is the gospel. It's the beauty of the gospel. So put your faith in him today. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you. Lord, I think of that beautiful poem I read today that said, I walked outside today and the void was shining immortal and infinite. And I have heard God's silence like the sun. And for the last time I stumbled into a church where no one was home. Help me, I can't live. Without you, I don't want to live. And you said, I came into the midst of the world and in the flesh I appeared to you and I found you all. Lord, I pray when you ask us the question, are you content without me? I pray that we would say, I am not content. Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Make your home within me. The cry of the heart is to belong. And I pray that we would recognize that you are a God who is patient and you love us and you don't give up on us. And as long as there is breath in our lungs, there is hope. So may we hold out hope for those that we know that are hurting and may we be conduits of hope. And for those here who are heartbroken today, who are feeling lonely, who are feeling distant, who are feeling defeated, may they understand that Jesus, it was through your defeat on the cross that actually was the, in, in reality a total victory for you conquered death and sin in the dominions of darkness. And you cried out those beautiful words, it is finished. May we put our trust in your finished work. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.